Well, good morning. If you, uh, if you do not know me, if we have not yet met, my name is Sam Best. I'm on staff as one of the pastors here. Official title is everyone's favorite pastor. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, get to, I get the pleasure of overseeing uh, life groups and discipleship, so if you have any questions about any of that stuff, there's a plug there. Come talk to me. I'm in the Connect area most Sundays after church. I love helping people learn how to follow Jesus and connect to others who are doing the same. That's what I'm about. And uh, today we are going to continue our sermon series uh, on the Minor Prophets. To get started, I'm going to pray for us. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for today. Thank you for the moment that today brings. Thank you for the way that you've already been speaking to us uh, today, that from the early morning prayer times when we were praying about uh, these moments to the worship time, the Selah moment, to uh, the, the Freegees being sent off. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. We acknowledge you. We take a moment to acknowledge you. And I pray... That as we open your word and we seek to learn from you and to hear from you, I pray that you would come and uh, allow our hearts and minds to be free to receive from you in this moment. I I pray that this would be a simple moment of meeting with you, that we would be able to look to you and see you, and that as uh, as we behold you together this morning, I pray that you would transform us into your image, and that when others look at us as we leave here today, they would see you. They would, they would rub shoulders with someone when they rub shoulders with us. They would rub shoulders with you, the person of Jesus, because you're in and through us and you're transforming us into your image. So I pray that over our time today as we read from your word, as we receive from you, we commit to focusing our thoughts and our minds and our attention on you in this time and to receive from you. We love you and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so as I said, we are continuing this Minor Prophet sermon series. The first two weeks, Austin brought some incredible words to us. I love that. I hope to follow that up well today. Uh, You'll remember that as he opened this series, he told us that these Minor Prophets have somewhat of a theme to them uh, in that God is speaking to his people uh, through specific men called prophets, and what he is saying is return to the covenant, specifically the covenant of Moses, uh, repent of their sins, and look forward to the restoration that will come from obedience and faithfulness to me. God is speaking to his people here, and he's saying, return, repent, and restore. And each one of these books highlights at least one of these themes. Some of them focus more on returning or repenting or restoration. And today, as we look at our minor, uh, continue our Minor Prophet series, we're going to be looking at the book of Obadiah, uh, which, you know, when I picked it uh, for this sermon series, I was kind of like, Lord, I don't, I don't know what, uh, I've never preached a sermon out of any of the Minor Prophets. Uh, which one should I choose? You know, I, I don't know. I was kind of praying through it. This one stuck out. I've learned some things about it since then that are kind of fun facts. Obadiah is, according to BibleGateway.com, the least read book of the Bible. It is... <laughs> It is the shortest book in the Bible with just one chapter, 21 verses, and uh, I think with the reading of it today, we're going to like double the amount of people who've read it this year, so... (laughs) 
uh, you know, therefore, there's, there's not a lot of commentary on things you can, like, learn from and preach on, you know. And this, I was like, really, Lord, you got to speak to me today on what you're going to say to us through this. Uh, but uh, we are going to jump in, and we're going to read Obadiah today. Uh, we're going to read all of it. I mean, when was the last time you read an entire book on a Sunday morning? Book of the Bible. Pat yourselves on the back. We're about to go through it. It's going to be fun. 21 verses. So grab your Bibles. Grab something to take notes with. This is a participation sport, if you will. I do not want to just stand up here and talk to you. I want, this, I want us to be interacting together. So if you've got any of those hallelujahs or amens that I hear, hear you giving to other people, give them to me too this morning. Um, here we go. The book of Obadiah. Let's turn there. If you can't find it, that's, it's small. It's hard to find if you're in one of those ancient paper Bibles. It's hard to find. It will be on the screen for you, though. Here we go. The vision of Obadiah. Starts out, Edom will be humbled. Sounds fun. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you uh, to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman. So that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence you have done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother, in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people in Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast. In the day of his distress, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. 
Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of his host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. I think. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Survivor, uh, saviors shall go up on, uh, to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. You did it. We made it. Look at us. We read a book and moved the needle on the stats there for Obadiah. We doubled it. So I know that um, it's, it's a lot there, and there's 21 verses, but... I think as we look at Obadiah, to, to, what we should do is back up a little bit. I know we read it. We should back up like, okay, what's the context here? Obadiah is about Israel and Edom. And it's about these two nations that actually come from their descendants of these two brothers. Wild story. We're not going to get into it. But there's these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And uh, their descendants are now these two nations. Obadiah, the prophet, wrote this book. And actually, this was a fun fact I learned. Uh, actually, it is commonly accepted by historians and, and biblical scholars that Obadiah's wife is the widow in 2 Kings that brings the jars to Elisha or, or comes to Elisha and asks, what do I do? And he says, go and fill your jars. So that should perk your interest a little bit this morning. So it's commonly accepted that widow was his wife. And uh, I thought that was kind of fun. So again, it's written to the Israelites about Edom. So it includes a lot of, hey, the, the Edom is going to fall. And, and it's about, the, the context is Edom stood by while other nations came and uh, pillaged Israel and, and came and took over Israel and they just stood there. And even as their uh, descendants or as their uh, fugitives were leaving, they're trying to escape, the Edomites stepped in and even harmed some of them and took things from them. And the Lord is saying, you did this to your brother. It's not good. It's not going to go well for you. It, Obadiah focuses, the message focuses on the destruction that is going to come to Edom and the restoration that will come from obedience to God, from being faithful to the covenant that God made with Moses. So it's, he's speaking to the Israelites saying, uh, I'm going to bring restoration through you being obedient. Uh, and so looking at these themes that we talked about of the Minor Prophet series, this is focusing on restoration more than it is returning or repenting. And to me, when I read this... I'm actually extremely encouraged. The more I learned about this, the more I became encouraged. Uh, it, it's encouraging because God is defending his children in this, uh, in this book, which isn't the message that we get in most of the other minor prophets. And it's not really the outlook that most of us have when we read the Old Testament. A lot of times like, gosh, God is harsh on these people. They were disobedient. So he like, he was harsh on them. But here uh, he's kind of like defending his children. It's like a father. It sounds like a father defending his children. And it's encouraging because uh, they were disobedient. And uh, they were actually in exile right now, which was a form of punishment for not being faithful to the covenant God had set up with them. And so he's speaking to them about bringing a judgment on their enemy and bringing redemption to them even though they were unfaithful and disobedient. And I think that's encouraging. I think it's encouraging because it reveals to us the true character of God. 
that God is loving even when we don't deserve his love. He loves us and pursues us and protects us. And again, that's not the, the, the rap that his, uh, his character gets a lot of times. A lot of people read the Old Testament and think, gosh, that God is different from the God of today. But God is loving and faithful. He chooses his people over and over, even though they're unfaithful and they don't choose him back. And ultimately, that's what Obadiah is. It's a reminder to us that God wants to be with us. And I think that we should look at and drill in a little bit on the context here of the situation and learn about it. Briefly, what I want to do is look at uh, and answer the question, what were they unfaithful to? So they were unfaithful. They were being disobedient. What were they being disobedient to? And why was God still choosing to love them in the midst of this? I think these are great questions for us. The short answer to that question, I'll give it to you right away, is they were unfaithful to God in that they were unfaithful to the covenant God had made with them. Now, if we're going to learn about the Old Testament and specifically these minor prophets, we have to know what this word covenant means and we have to know uh, what, what it was that these uh, Israelites were supposed to be faithful to but weren't and specifically this one covenant God made with Moses. So let's briefly, I know this is Sunday morning, but let's briefly put on our learning caps this morning and, uh, and listen to see what God might have to say to us and what the story might have always been uh, between God and his people. So let's look at what is a covenant and what is this specific covenant that these people were unfaithful to? Well, ultimately, the Bible is a story of God and people, right? It's not a history book and it doesn't tell perfect history in the way that history books try to tell you history. And it's not a scientific book in the way that things are trying to explain to you exactly how things work. Uh, and it's not just a story. In reality, it is, it is uh, what actually happened between God and this chosen people. And that's why you get things in the Bible like, uh, you know, rules and regulations, all these things, because God is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to make a covenant with you. And there's stipulations to this covenant. And that's also why you get these like forever long family trees and lineages, because it's tracing the people God made that covenant with. And so it kind of gives you some context for most of what you're reading in there. But the Bible starts with creation and Adam and Eve originally being in the garden. You know this. But then they are deceived and they choose to go their own way. And ultimately, this results in them being sent away from God and away from the blessing that comes from being with God. And since then, since that moment, God has been after one thing, to be with us again. And this is where these covenants come in. Think of them, and maybe the word covenant throws you off because we don't use that a lot, but think of them as a formal relationship. Again, we've got our learning caps on. We're trying to connect some dots here. God made these covenants or formal relationships with a specific people to make a way for God and man to be together again. And this is what the Bible focuses on. The story of the Bible focuses on God revealing himself to these specific people in order to reveal himself to the entire world. And he reveals himself in the form of this covenant. And although, again, this idea of covenant might seem foreign to us, it wasn't foreign to the people of the second millennium B.C., the, the time Moses was living. This was very common. It was common for conquering kings to come in, to take over a land, and to make a covenant with somebody to impose their will and their rule on the defeated people. 
It would go something like this. A king would conquer another nation and then give them a treaty or a covenant, this formal relationship and a document that's clearly defining uh, what life is going to look like now for you, now that I'm here. It, it, it came with, uh, complete with rules, stipulations, promises, and consequences. So God came and gave the Israelites something they would have completely understood. He gave them a clearly defined covenant. He gave this covenant to a people he chose to possess for the implicit reason of imposing his will and rule on them so that he could be with them and so that through them others could be with him as well. The whole point is he's trying to be with them. He's saying, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to be in relationship together. And this covenant he gave them, he gave to Moses, it did have terms. Israel was to obey the terms embodied in the laws given to Moses. These are summarized in what we know as the Ten Commandments. And in the terms, God promised to bring blessing to them if they followed his commandments, but curses if they disobeyed. These blessings were that he will now personally dwell in their midst and bring them into the promised land. He will be their God, and they, Israel, will be his people. Moreover, they will be a kingdom of priests that mediate his goodness and glory to all the nations, giving them a huge part to play in the redemption of the whole world. That's a pretty cool blessing. That God's going to be in your midst, and you're going to be a part of what I'm doing on the earth of bringing everyone to me. The curse was most notably uh, this exile in foreign lands, which is where we find ourselves in Obadiah. These people are, are not being faithful to this covenant, and God is still speaking to them, saying, all the promises that come along with this covenant are still going to happen. And the people have to be wondering how, why, and he points to it in Obadiah. But, but to recap and to make a really long story short, God designed and instituted these formal relationships or these covenants with the people of Israel, specifically this one. They were complete with consequences, blessings for obedience, and curses for disobedience. And time and time again, God's chosen people, Israel, proved that they could not keep their end of the covenant deal. They could not look to the promises and be faithful to the rules and to the stipulations. Thus, they received discipline from God. Even still, what God chooses to speak to them is, I want to be with you, and I'm going to make it happen. I will still cause this to happen. I will bring judgment on those who oppose you, and I will bring restoration to you. Be with me and be faithful to me. What Obadiah's his visions of the future include a God that is saying, I'm going to bring all this to pass, and by implication, a people who are obedient to God. He is saying, oh, Obadiah is pointing to a future that you will actually be able to live out what he's asked you to live out. And you'll actually be able to be with him, which is wild. And he's saying, this is what you're made for. Be with me. Now, I, I know that as we read this and as we had our you know, thinking caps on for a moment, it can be hard to relate to what we read in this story. It can be hard to relate to any Old Testament story for that matter. But uh, because we may not be under these old terms of the covenant, you know, uh, because you read your Bibles, that we are under a new covenant. And you know that we're not in the same boat as these people. But ultimately, I'd like to point out that we can relate to them. We can relate to what's going on here in Obadiah, uh, because Obadiah is ultimately a reminder to us that God wants to be with us, even in our rebellion and unfaithfulness. He has made a way for us to be with him. And we can relate to them because just like them, they, they were a long time removed from when the covenant was set up for them. They were reading about it. 
you know, they, none of the people who were alive at the writing of Obadiah were there on Mount Sinai when Moses received the covenant and received the terms of the covenant. They just read about it. And we, too, are in a similar place with them. We read about this new covenant being set up. And it happened long ago. And by faith, we're choosing to step in and be a part of it. And they're having to make a decision, and they're falling short. And we're having to make decisions and falling short. But God has given us this new covenant. And I think what we should do is look at this new covenant to see how it relates to this Mosaic covenant. Briefly look at what, what terms were revised when Jesus came and fulfilled the law and uh, brought us what we now know as this new covenant. We know, because we have the whole Bible... That the story doesn't end with Obadiah. And it doesn't end even uh, with the people, the stories that come right after. I mean, there's so much going on here. Ultimately, the story climaxes in God giving us another covenant, this new covenant. So in this new covenant, God upholds our end of the deal for us. He upholds our rules and stipulations that we are to follow in the person of Jesus. He renews this Mosaic covenant, but alters its conditions so that forgiveness now comes by the blood of Jesus rather than a sacrificed animal in the temple. God also alters the covenant community in making it available for everyone, not just this specific chosen people. And the consequences for living out this new covenant are that you actually die and you take on his life. And you are now with him, you're one with him, and you're one with anybody else who has also died and been raised again to him. These are the consequences of this new covenant. God made this new covenant with his people, with us, and he declares, Now I will write my law on your hearts. I will bring complete forgiveness of sin. And I will put my spirit in you to empower you to actually live out the way I need you to live out so that we can be together. Because remember, the point of all of this is that he is trying to be with us again. He's making a way for us to be with him again. Under this new covenant, we have access to draw near to God. The people now have the power to finally be faithful and draw near to God, thus becoming one with God and a light to all the nations. This is actually what we're a part of. And this is what Obadiah was foretelling of. He was looking at We're a part of the vision that he had of a a God who is going to make a way and and by implication a people who are going to actually be able to live it out and be obedient. And there's so much in Obadiah that we could look in and drill into. But I think that what God is wanting to speak to us today is what I've just shared. That God is currently and actively inviting us into drawing near to him under this new covenant. It's what he's been inviting us into, but in this specific season, God is inviting this family into drawing near to him. And I want to keep that before us. I want to use this reminder that Obadiah is to say, look, this is what he's been after all along, and we have access to him. And there is a decision that we have every day. To make. Are we going to draw near to him or are we not? Are we going to live for ourselves or are we not? Are we going to live for him or live for ourselves? It's this, it's this uh, bring me another jar word. And 
Just bring me another jar word if you're new around here. Um, it does come from Second Kings, like we talked about earlier. This widow comes to the prophet and says, you know, my, my, my husband is dead. I've got these creditors. I don't know what to do. He's like, well, what do you have uh, to pay off this debt? Okay, well, I've got this oil. And he tells her, okay, great. Go and collect all the jars you can and pour this oil out into the jars and don't stop until you run out of jars. And the invitation for us as a people is to come and draw near to God, bring him the empty jars of our life, quit filling them with other things and bring them to him and say, I'm drawing near to you. I want to receive from you. I want to be with you. I'm going to, I'm trying to be faithful here to this covenant that you've made with me. God is actively inviting us in to draw near as a people. We also have a couple of other words that God has spoken to us uh, in our movement as a body. And I'll just briefly point to these because I want to make sure they're in front of everybody. Because we're ultimately in a window of time, I believe, where God is saying, draw near right now. It's open to you. And one of those words is that the door is open. And, and I don't have much more on that word other than to say that on our movement, and even in a couple of other movements that we know of, we're a part of, God is actively speaking to our leadership to say, uh, the door is open for you to draw near to me. So do it. Do what you can to prioritize being with me. This other word that won't be unfamiliar to most of you, but it's this idea of the boiler room being developed in and through our lives. And I won't harp on this a lot because we've talked about it a couple of times. We also have like an eight-minute podcast that Andrew and I filmed recently on YouTube, on these different places that we're, I just ask him, okay, so what's the boiler room? And he answers. So if you want more thorough explanation of it, you can go there. But this boiler room is is this idea to, uh, that a ship has a boiler room in it, and it's what makes the ship go. And there was this word spoken to our movement about you. this is a season of developing the boiler room. And specifically in regards to this one ship that was used during the war, it's called Queen Mary, and you can look it up. Again, I'm not going to go into all the details, but this ship uh, actually was it was a very big help to uh, in the war because of the, its advanced boiler Boiler room. It was able to carry. Um, it was able to carry troops overseas several times and faster than anything else because of the boiler room. And the implication there for us is the boiler room is your prayer life. It is the abiding. It is spending time with Jesus. And to the extent that you're with Him and abiding in Him, uh, to the extent you'll be effective or able to be faithful and live out this covenant. You know, it's it is this uh, go and be with me. Prioritize me. It's actually the thing to prioritize, not these other things. I just wanted to highlight those things as we looked at Obadiah as this is the, the invitation that's before us. This thing that Obadiah was looking at that it can be hard to relate to, this thing that he's prophesying, we are now in this new covenant. And uh, even though it can be hard to relate with it. Uh, we have the same invitation before us. We too are faced with the decision of being faithful to God. They weren't able to to be, uh, and we are also living under a covenant, but God has given us the power to be faithful under this covenant. So will we be a people faithful to God? 
it's not pleasant um, what, uh, what I'm about to say. It's not super pleasant, but uh, this morning as we were praying into this, even again during our worship time, I had two different people come to me and give me a word about, okay, you're about to share this, and there's maybe something that you're wanting to share that's not going to be pleasant to say. It's going to be kind of like uh, someone ta- a little kid saying, I don't want to take this medicine because it's yucky. I don't want to drink that, but it produces something good in your life. And so uh, I'm like, okay, Lord, I was kind of debating whether or not to read from this passage or to share any of this, but uh, I think you're saying to do it because I got two different words about it. And so uh, I didn't even give them this scripture, but turn to Hebrews 12 with me. And we're just going to look because we've talked about uh, a couple of times this morning, we've talked about... um, our response is to be faithful to this covenant. And this is really my main point of the sermon. And I was going to go a little bit different direction, but I'm trying to respond to the Lord this morning. And Hebrews chapter 12 is all about Jesus being the founder and the perfecter of our faith in that we, uh, he's the one who uh, makes us able to live by faith under this new covenant. And uh, there's a lot here. I'm not going to read all of it like I read all of Obadiah. But in verse 7, uh, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate sons and uh, children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may desire, or we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's so much there. And even in verse 16, it references Esau, Jacob and Esau. Esau was part of the, the one who, of the two brothers whose descendants were Edom in the book of Obadiah. Anyways, I like that kind of stuff. But he's saying, uh, but what he's getting at here is to be, um, to be uh, under this new covenant, to be faithful under this new covenant. What does it take? It takes coming to, to God and dying to self and being raised again. Not just a one-time thing, but every day coming and receiving power from the Holy Spirit to actually live out being faithful to this covenant. And this is what's before us. And he's referring to it here as discipline from the Lord. And he's saying, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Give yourself to meeting with the Lord every day and hearing what he has to say about your life. Meet with him. This is, this is what we call the process of sanctification in the Bible. This is working out your salvation. When you were saved, you crossed a line. It wasn't a finish line. It was a starting line. You crossed a starting line, and you, and you are now being worked out with the Holy Spirit in your salvation. Uh, we were talking about baptisms last week right after this service, uh, and uh, I have a really good friend, uh, Bill, who came up and said, do you realize what happens when someone is baptized, and do you realize the implications for us? We should be reminded every time we see someone baptized that we have to go through that process every day. We have to die to self and be raised again new every day. This is the power that the Holy Spirit now brings us to live out 
the new terms of this new covenant. We must live that out. If we're going to be faithful, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you just a couple of things that we must do if we're going to be faithful to the covenant. I'm going to call the band up. If we're going to be faithful to this covenant, we must be filled with His Holy Spirit every day. We have to start our day dying to self and being filled with God's Spirit, as I just outlined. What I'm trying to say is we have to stop trying to fill our own jars and go to Him to fill us with His life. Take the jars of our life to Him and say, Okay, I can't see it, but I'm going to trust that coming to you in this moment matters more than me trying to go and do whatever I think I need to do. We must do that. That's going to be hard. That's going to look a number of different ways. You're going to get there. You're going to spend time with God. And there's going to be all these thoughts flooding in your mind. I want to share with you that as one of the leaders here, it is okay to be distracted when you're spending time with God. You're not alone. There's not like some elect elite that go in there and just without ceasing for an hour and a half have perfect uh, ability to focus on the Lord. I want to set you free from that. Go in there and spend time with God. And in two two minutes you'll think of something. You'll think of something else other than God. Write it down. Okay, write it down. Now it's out of, out of your head. Keep going. Spend time with him. There will eventually be no more of those thoughts that pop up. And you'll be able to spend time with God. You just write them down. I'll deal with these things later. Maybe it's God, maybe it's God reminding you of something that you were supposed to be doing already. And he's just saying, you're supposed to be a man of your word because I'm in you. So I'm going to remind you of this. Great. Okay. But I'm trying to meet with you in this moment, you know. Uh, maybe it's you. Maybe I'm over-spiritualizing it. But uh, what I'm trying to say is get in there. Spend time with him. You have to be filled with him. So do what it takes. The last thing I want to share is that we have to look to those who have gone before us and look to those around us if we're going to be faithful to this covenant. So we have to look to those who have gone before us and we have to look to those around us. What I mean is uh, God is going to use us to pour into each other's jars, which is a great thing. It's a very good thing. The alternative to that is to look to what the world has to offer and to fill our jars with what the world has to offer. And so uh, the question is, what are you focusing on? What are you paying attention to? Because you will replicate it. You You will look like what you behold. And Jesus is saying, behold me so you can be in, in, uh, transformed into my image. And guess what? There's others around you and those who have gone before you who were transformed into his image and who are being transformed into his image. So look to those who have gone before you. And look to those around you. You have faithful friends here in this body who are trying to, with everything in them, love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're trying to. They're trying to daily learn how to die to self and to live with the power of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. So be open and talk to one another. How am I doing? How are you doing this? I want to learn. What does your daily routine look like of going to the Lord? What's he stirring in you as you bring him empty jars? I think these are great questions that I'd love to gift you in this season. Don't do this alone. At the end of this summer season, this invitation that we have before the Lord to respond to drawing near to him, uh, I don't want to get to the end of it and, and all of us having responded in some ways individually without having talked about it and tried to respond 
respond corporately together. And I'm not saying you have to be open and honest with everybody in the room, but get into a life group. Invite people in saying, I'm having a hard time focusing on the Lord every day. I'm having a hard time choosing to die to self and to put on the new self. I'm having a hard time doing this. Let's talk about that. And look to those who have gone before you. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read of different uh, revivals. The other thing I was going to share before I read Hebrews was was some stories about this Welsh revival that's happened. And most of you probably are familiar with this, but in 1907, there was a revival that started with people gathering to prioritize relationships and prayer. Does that sound familiar with anybody? They gathered to prioritize relationships and prayer, and it eventually ended up one man decided, I think God is calling us to do these four things and these four things alone. And these four things were repent of all known sin, to drop anything doubtful in your life, to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The second they started to do those four things, it exploded and touched every part of the world. Now, there's a lot more details there, but what I do, what I, when I look at that, I'm encouraged. There's people who chose not to live for themselves. They chose to, even against their better judgment or reputation, thinking of themselves, confess all known sin and say, I'm going to leave all doubtful things. Those are good things. I, I, I kind of like them. But, but it's in comparison of the Lord pouring out his spirit and drawing near to him, I, I, don't, I don't want them. I'm going to drop them. They confessed Christ as their Lord and they obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This morning, as we respond to this, I'm going to call up our prayer team. And if you're here today and you're like, great, I want to be faithful. I want to learn how to daily die to self and, and, and live through the power that Christ has given me. I know that's on the table for me, but I haven't been seeing it and I haven't been choosing it. I want you to come get prayer this morning. (laughs) I want you to come get prayer and have somebody else who's running the same race you're running lay hands on you and pray for you and encourage you that you can do it. God's Holy Spirit does in fact live in you. I'm going to pray for us as we end our time. Prayer team, come on up. Lord, we thank you that you're a good father. And that you see us as sons and that you're, and daughters and that you're disciplining us because you long to be with us. So I pray that as we respond to this word and we come forth and say, okay, I'll give you my life again today. I'll choose to give up my life so that I receive everything you've given me in this new covenant. It feels like a hard trade-off in the moment. So Holy Spirit, help us, lead and guide us in this moment in loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us respond to the invitation of drawing near to God in this moment. Amen.